From the Western Riverside Council of Governments, I'm Rachel Singer, and this is CogCast. As our communities continue forward towards reopening after the COVID-19 pandemic, many industries are working to prepare and recalibrate for the upcoming school year. Early childhood development centers remain one of the key cornerstones of our communities, investing in future leaders and providing essential care for children as their parents work. But how has COVID-19 and its multifaceted impact influenced the sustainability of this industry, especially in light of our ever-growing subregion? And what are some of the challenges and solutions that need to be considered moving forward? To address some of these questions, the CogCast will be featuring a special two-episode series on early childhood development education. On today's episode, we have Joanne Lauer, Assistant Superintendent for Riverside County Office of Education, and Sarah Burnett, Early Childhood Education Professor at Norco College. Well, thank you so much, Joanne and Sarah, for being a guest on our podcast. Um, I'd love to get to know you guys a little bit more. So, Joanne, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I am a resident of Menifee in Riverside County and have two grown children and two grandsons and um, thoroughly enjoy life and all that it has to give and travel is one of my passions. Okay, awesome. What's your favorite place that you've traveled to? Scotland. That's awesome. Very cool. On my bucket list for sure. And Sarah, how about you? Um, From the personal side, I'll put you on lead. I I live in Eastvale. I spend a lot of time in North River because I, I do have two horses. Um, so they are one of my big time passions. Um, one's an Arabian that I've had since he was five months old and the other is a, a Mustang that was wild, uh, came out of Nevada. And um, so I've been training her since I adopted her three years ago. Um, I have lived on three different continents and three different states on both sides of the United States. So. Um, Travel is something I think we have in common. That's awesome. And so I have to ask, what is, out of all the places that you've lived, what what has been your favorite? Well, the the, the East Valians and the Norconians aren't going to like this answer, but where I grew up in England. Mm. So I grew up in a tiny village in England. And to this day, if if I fly home, that's home to me still. And I've been here. 30 years, August the 8th this year, actually. So wow. it's still very much a part of who I am. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, Sarah, we have even more in common because I grew up in um, northeast of England, in Northumberland, in a little town called Newby. That's that's fabulous. That's, that's awesome. beautiful up there. That's beautiful up there. That last time I was in England, um, uh, it's it kind of a sad visit, but um, I ended up then going up the Lake District from Wiltshire, which is south southwest of England. I went up to the Lake District in the snow in January and it was fabulous. It was absolutely fabulous. So jumping into more of the discussion of our podcast today, can you, um, maybe Joanne, can you start us off by sharing why why is early childhood development so important? Not only is it a contributing factor for positive outcomes for children through social, emotional, cognitive, academic um, growth, but it it also contributes to um, cultural awareness and um, the understanding of others. 
and um, how we come together to serve and be amongst one another. Mm-hmm. Sarah, would you add anything to that? I think the foundation that is created in those very early years and that there's so much research now on, on, on the brain-based side of all of it, that to deny the importance of it at this point um, is very, very difficult. And the importance of having those consistent relationships, whether it's at home or in schools or in the community as well, that's our next generation that we are, you know, dripping knowledge and nutrients into. And and so to make sure that we are doing the best for the next generation that's coming around, we've got to make sure we're taking care of these youngest ones. Yeah, definitely. And just to give our audience just some context of what you guys do on a day-to-day basis for your jobs, Sarah, can you maybe start us off by sharing just a brief overview? Sure. So I am a professor of early childhood education, special education at Norfolk College, which is a part of the Riverside Community College District. Uh, We're one of three colleges within that district. And on a daily basis, I think my job is to, I was just working on it right now, actually, is designed design courses for students who are interested in working with children that are going to challenge their understanding and to stimulate their desire to move forward, to find a pathway. Um, So the college offers a wide range of classes that build into a, a sequences of certificates and degrees. And those degrees and certificates are then what students use to go into a career. Some of them decide they want to work with children zero to three, with and without disabilities. Others decide they want to do um, a little bit older, three to five-year-olds, and then others want to go into elementary, middle school, high school teaching. A lot of our students are also on pathways to becoming counselors or social workers. Sometimes even um, we have nurses in our program as well, taking some of our courses because they're interested in, in the unable age group. So I, I think as a college, what we do is we give people an opportunity to change their lives. And I see it on a daily basis. I have students who come in who haven't been in school for a long time or just want to get out of a situation that is not serving them well. And they are scared. They doubt themselves. And by the end of the two, the three, the four, sometimes six years, they're a different person. So I I think we're at an age of change and the students that I get are so committed to helping and wanting to work with children that I'm very lucky because they are so focused and so passionate about what they do that it's anything I can give them. They are just like, they, they eat it up and they just want to go further and further. So I think that's, that's kind of what I do on a daily basis is challenging people to chase their dreams and, and find what they want to do. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And Joanne, how about you? Can you share about what you do on a day-to-day basis? Sure. At the Riverside County Office of Education, I serve as the Assistant Superintendent for the Division of Early Learning Services. Uh, I direct and support the overall activities and operations of direct services within our county for our youngest learners through Head Start, Early Head Start, Migrant Head Start, and center and state-based preschools. Additionally, we have migrant education, the resource and referral for the county, and we also facilitate the California Alternative Payment Program within our division. In addition to these roles, uh, we also interface and 
our collaborative partners with the Consortium for Early Learning Services within our county, as well as First Five Riverside, and then inform as well as respond to state legislative decisions in order to support providers in the field in implementing any changes that are made at the state level. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So it sounds like your your team is very well connected, not only in Riverside, but just at a broader level too, even from a state perspective. Yes. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Yeah. So Sarah, I wanted to come back to you and hear a little bit more about um, how Norco College is really involved in the fields of early childhood development. So do you think you can just build that out a little bit more for us? So we are involved in a number of different ways. Um, The first way is we provide students opportunities to complete certificates and degrees to do pathways to early childhood education careers. Um, What we also do is we go out into our community a lot to work with the early childhood community, first with our advisory board that helps to guide us on new adventures. For example, we're gonna be starting an incremental health certificate and that's with the advice of our advisory board. We also work with local partners on different projects. So for example, um, we're partnering with First Five right now on a um, steering committee with regard to home visiting in the hopes that we'll also develop an apprenticeship. Um, We work with local community community colleges in state um, adventures. So I'm part of TRICE-ECE, which is the California Community College Early Childhood Educators. And we work throughout the state um, to make sure that we're advancing early childhood at the community college level as a part of the whole process. Um, We also engage in a lot of uh, grant activities. So I'm part of a grant with called Uplift right now with Cal Poly Pomona. And so we're looking at dual language um, learners and how to increase the content in our courses to support those children and the teachers who are going to work with them. And then I'm also engaged in things at the state level with the Commission for Teacher Credentialing, because we're doing pilots right now to improve the quality and standards of our program. So it's very much this model that's layered. So it's not just the work that we do on the campus and in the courses, it goes deeper than that, because we want to make sure that the, the courses we do offer are really meeting the needs of our community, staying abreast of what's happening, staying current, and infusing into them content that is relevant to the students today in our region. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that makes sense totally. And I think it's neat how your role and North College's role at a larger scale is investing in people who will eventually invest in people who are teaching young kids and re- really raising up the next generation of leaders. Um, So, Joanne, can you maybe share what role does Riverside County, kind of on the other end of the spectrum, um, what role does the Office of Education play in early childhood development? Well, we serve as the county hub for the resource and referral entity within our county. We provide support and resources for families, as well as child care providers and local education agencies, such as our school districts. We also are... um, the source and facilitate the alternative payment program for subsidized care for over 11,000 children in early education care settings within our county. And we um, operate as well as lead federal and state early education programs such as Head Start, Migrant Head Start, state preschools, as well as teen parent programs um, across our county. 
we serve as a contracting agency for uh, state preschools and Head Start programs that are operating within our school districts. We also provide support in the facilitation of quality care and programs through our Quality Start Riverside County program for facilities as well. We provide migrant education programs serving children who are um, in migrant families, primarily out in our East Coachella Valley. We also have um, programs that are operating in Imperial County. However, we provide the oversight and support for those particular programs. We are the lead for the Riverside County Early Literacy Project, which is ARCHELP, and that's part of Superintendent Gomez's Literacy by Fifth Grade Initiative here in Riverside County. And we engage with state and local agencies to inform policy and support early childhood facilities and local education agencies, such as our school districts, with the implementation and the continuous improvement of quality programs for mm-hmm. And so just to clarify, these the the it sounds like River, Riverside County Office of Education really facilitates a lot of those relationships between state and local programs and funding. Um, now, is that funding that your that your office is helping facilitate? Is that specifically for public entities or private entities for ch- uh, early childhood development centers? That would be both. Both. Okay. With private agencies as well as public agencies, and we not only facilitate what I would call uh, vertically between our local agencies and state policy, but also horizontally. Mm-hmm. So with our collaborative partnerships with the Consortium for Early Learning Services, as well as First Five Riverside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. So obviously this past year has been really crazy <laughs> and COVID has really turned many industries on its head in many ways. And um, education has really been hit also with the number of students, faculty, staff, um, teachers, et cetera, that have just been impacted by this, our, as what we used to call it in 2020, the new normal. Um, but what challenges do you see for public and private early childhood development centers now as we look to start returning, the, returning to what we would consider normal? Joanne, if you want to go ahead and start that off. Sure. I think the challenges are multifaceted. So not only do we have the challenges of returning itself, in which here in the county, we have begun our summer programs. Um, They are in place. Children are in place. The children and the families have been fantastic. The teachers have have made the transition and and are serving through quality care settings. But but we really the challenge is continuing to adhere as well as flex or adapt to, we're still in a constant state of change. Mm. So we cannot say our pandemic is over, light switch turned on, let's just go back with all normal practices and procedures. That is not the case. We continually change. And so we're having to adapt on that continuous basis and be flexible in that application while at the same time ensuring quality care and settings for our children and services for our families. I think that that's a challenge, but quite honestly, one of the largest challenges I see, and I so appreciate Sarah, Norco College, Riverside Community College District for all of their efforts, as well as other of our higher education facilities is the, is the need for the workforce. Hmm. One of our largest challenges is workforce. Currently, we have are preparing to open next month a child development center in Marietta, and we have right on the pipeline, right behind it, another one in Valverde, right off of 215. And staffing 
is our greatest concern. Mm-hmm. Sarah, do you want to add on to that at all? Yeah, I mean, I've been in a number of meetings recently, and that this is what I'm hearing just constantly. Um, we have a lot of teachers who obviously had to stop working because they didn't have any choice. And then some centers reopened again, and the teachers that were working were working predominantly during COVID with children whose parents were frontline workers. And so the, the stress and the strain that those teachers have gone through in the last year and a half has been unbelievable. And many of them are still working today, are still and are exhausted because they have been reorganizing their classrooms and you know, licensing and CDC come out with rules and you have to follow them. And they're they're very, very difficult. And I think our profession is one of the ones that is was more prepared than any others to make these switches because we have such high quality regulations in place for uh, sanitation and, and cleanliness and all of those kinds of aspects. But when you're suddenly teaching young children with a mask and you're trying to keep them, I mean, it's not that easy to keep young children apart from each other. And, and the strain that they have gone through, the ones who stayed working has been incredible those who stopped working when they had to but then didn't return when they could are still not back many of them i'm getting calls on a weekly basis do you have any employees do you have any employees do you have students that are ready um and in riverside county rcoe and all of the entities that work on quality have done such an incredible job of setting such a high standard that we don't have enough students coming down the pipeline to meet that standard at the moment. And one of the other huge problems that I see for the last year and a half, I've been teaching my practicum class, which is where students actually go out into the community, work directly in centers with children. I've been teaching it fully online. I'm teaching it this summer. And the best I can give them are self-selected, hand-picked videos that they're going to observe and and get a sense of. Um, in the last year and a half, my students' family members have literally said, I'm not doing any more activities with you for that teacher. I'm not gonna pretend to be the child anymore. I've got videos of students trying to practice these really complex layered skills of teaching with their grandparents or some of them with teddy bears because they literally have not had people, children to be able to do it with. So prepping a workforce to go and do something with live living creatures (laughs) when you don't have them, I'm very worried about what they're going to have to cope with when they do actually get out into the workforce. And so those are the two big things that I'm seeing right now, a lack of preparation and a lack of people ready to go and do the job. And then the last one is we have, I can't remember what the numbers were from the meeting the other day, Joanne, we have centers that have closed and that haven't reopened. So we have a workforce that needs to go back to work and they're not going to have anywhere to place their children if these centers aren't opened. So there, there's, a, there's a bit of a, I'll call it a, a data conundrum when it comes to centers that have, have been opened or not. We, we know that we have data from licensing that, have, that speaks to the number of centers who have reported that they closed and um, have... Um, and are not indicated in the reports as having reopened. Additionally, we know that we have data from licenses that have not been renewed. Both of these data points are highly 
um, concerning. Mm -hmm. But but we do know that there there is a bit of a gap in that um, in that the um, on two fronts. One, we began to use our R and R staff who began to contact centers directly and facilities directly to say, "Are you open?" Because they were listed on the closed site, and in fact, they were. And but the the report did not indicate as such. However, we also sent out a survey. Um, to providers asking them about their capacity and their enrollment. And we had a high percentage of centers stating that they had room. They had capacity for more. The problem was they didn't have staff to be able to open the rooms. And so in fact, and we have um, a child development center just up the street from my office, a beautiful child development center just a, a happy place to go. You know that it's just quality services for children. And and two rooms are sitting completely empty because there is no staff to be able to house the program. Now they have multiple classrooms and they're getting ready to potentially have to close down a third because of staffing. So in this case, we know that from, from our data reports and it was not Countywide, we did not have 100% of respondents, but it is an indicator of the pattern and trend across our county. And, and it's for those reasons that I feel that while, yes, there is a concern around the number of facilities who may have closed, and yes, there is a concern for licenses that may not have been renewed, I'm not denying that. Um, however, I feel that if we don't address the workforce issue, it won't matter how many centers we open because we will not have qualified staff to be able to provide quality care. Mm -hmm. And to me, that is paramount to the position that we are, are currently in. Mm -hmm. Our efforts that are happening across our county, there are conversations that are happening. I know that Norco College is, is in conversations with providing um, through a child development center pipeline. Las Brisas uh, Center, which is where we're getting ready to open um, next month, it has observation rooms um, in place so that we can begin to, to support the workforce efforts. Um, but it is not going to be an easy ship to write. Mm -hmm. It's going to take time and effort um, from multiple agencies at multiple levels across time in order to write. And I think that um, that not to jump ahead in some questions that we discussed, but um, that it's going to take all of these agencies working together over time, in addition to the efforts that are already underway to support early education. Mm -hmm current uh, federal administration as well as state administration have um, been very supportive of early education. However, we have a lot of time to make up and COVID just exasperated an already fragile system. Mm -hmm. we, we're not starting from a, a level playing field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and I also wanted to share um, our courses for fall are currently open for registration. And I'm looking at numbers that are very, very concerning to me at the moment. I've got uh, 
students who are still worried about coming back to campus. Um, our, our college is offering 80% face-to-face and 20% online. The online courses are filling and then the, the face-to-face during the day, are they're struggling right now. And early childhood, we fail quickly and we fail early. And so I'm, I'm worried about how we continue a pipeline. Uh, my average is about 600 students in the program at any given time. And I'm, I'm looking to see what happens in the fall with who is and who isn't coming back. I know a lot of my students have started working. And so when you stop going to school and you start working, it is then very difficult to start going back to school again. And many of them have done well in an all online environment. And some of them have disappeared because it just hasn't met what they need as a student. And for us as a discipline, there are many courses that we can do well online. And there are some that we just shouldn't. Mm. And so we are, we are struggling ethically right now with how do we continue to sustain the quality of the candidates that we're producing if they can't get to observe children, if they can't get into the practicum sites. So the sooner we can get that ship righted, the more opportunity we have to get the the kind of employee that Joanne's talking about out into the community. Mm -hmm. Because it's it's what our children and their families deserve is to have someone who is prepared well to understand what it is they're going to be doing on a daily basis. Yeah. And I think from the general public's perspective, at least in, I'll say my own circles, a lot of the conversation around childcare, childhood development centers is more of, I'm a working adult, I need a place for my kids to go. But I think that once we start peeling back the layers, we start seeing like you said, Joanne, a very multifaceted challenge ahead of us of workforce, of actual centers opening, of how well, not well will they be trained, but how well will their experience, how robust will their experiences be to really prepare them for when they're working day in, day out at these um, centers. So Joanne, I wanted to ask you, what are some of the initiatives that the superintendent of schools might consider to really support the multifaceted issues and challenges kind of ahead? So as we discussed, there's been many recent efforts such as expanding slots for for preschool and workforce development, rate reform for providers, and most certainly universal TK uh, for four-year-olds that are being implemented by our current leadership, which includes our California State Superintendent, Tony Thurman. But looking forward, as we've discussed, workforce development is going to be that challenge Mm -hmm that we are going to have to really ante up on our efforts. We know that it's a longer term solution with immediate needs. So how do we prioritize that um, simultaneously while we address these other issues and concerns so that we have this pipeline as Sarah has described that's coming forward. And then with um, opportunities at the state level, which I know they have underway, and Sarah is part of those conversations, as well as Riverside County Office of Education, to be able to provide input as to the implications at the field level. When we talk about what does it mean to implement and what are some of the immediate challenges and barriers and what are things that we foresee across time so that we can layer all of these concerns together and be able to intentionally prioritize our response and build an infrastructure um, that includes continuous improvement so that we can come together around solutions 
statewide, across our county, and then most, you know, also importantly, that vertical alignment, um, zero all the way through our higher education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Like you said, kind of layer them together to see the intersection points. But Sarah, so I wanted to ask you, and I'm going to tee this off to Joanne as well afterwards, but just starting with you, Sarah, do you, what are some practical ways that you feel that um, elected officials, organizational leaders, regional leaders here in Western Riverside County can really support early childhood education, whether from a workforce perspective or from like an actual center's perspective as well? So I'm going to, I'm just going to say what I think are things, and, and many of them could be doing these already. So I don't want to insult anybody who, who's already doing these kinds of things. And I, I know what Riverside County Office of Ed is doing and how they collaborate with First Five. So I know the amount of work that they are doing, and it is enormous. From a city level, from a county level, I, I think one of the first things is, is to realize that without early childhood, without early childhood care, you don't have a workforce. Um, For a long, long time, what we do in early childhood has not been really treated with a level of respect, to be honest with you, for what it is we do. We, We don't just take care of children during the day and make sure that they're safe. There's so much more to it than that. But when a parent needs a place for their child to go and there isn't a place, whether it's high quality or low quality, they can't go to work. When our economy is dependent on parents being able to find placements for their children, we are then going to derail the economy. So I think one of the first things is realizing that how do we make sure that programs can open, that they can stay open, that families can get access to them, Cities and the county can help with that because there are all kinds of systems that exist that create all kinds of roadblocks and slow everything down. Um, Trying to help people reopen. What are the things that cities can do to facilitate that? What are things that cities can do to actually give out more permits to enable people to move forward with opening a business? So that's from the city side of it. But I, I think the biggest piece is for me, the recognition of our profession as being absolutely critical and necessary to the infrastructure because without it, nobody can do anything. Mm-hmm. And the, the pressure that that, that then places predominantly on women and the inequity that that creates for families who can't afford to pay someone to maybe come into their home to take care of their children. There aren't enough slots across any state for anybody in Head Start or state preschool. And so we need more funding to be placed into our public systems so that more families have access, especially our lower income families, who again are going to have the equity issue of not being able to go to work. Mm. Um, So for me, I, I think it's the realization that you have a responsibility as a city manager to make sure that your city is providing your families with the access that they need to be able to go to work whether it's in your city or another city. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are there there are solutions to some of these problems if we just get a little bit more creative in the way we look at it. Um, but many of us are not at that table. We're not in we're not in that conversation and it's almost to me it feels that sometimes it, well it's the parents responsibility to take care of their own children. 
it's a city's responsibility to provide the opportunities for parents to have places for their children to go that are meeting the quality standards that we have come to expect in Riverside County. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true that there, the undercurrent of adults being able to go to work really is and rests upon early childhood development centers, teachers and educators that are working day in and day out with the our workforce's children, <laughs> um, which is so true. Well, and, the la- and the last year and a half, I think, has shown parents mm-hmm. exactly how difficult it is um, I've got a lot of friends who are very happy that school is back, let's put it that way. But the challenge that those educators have gone through, no matter what age group they're teaching, because we are all professional educators, whether we're working with infants, toddlers, eight-year-olds, or 12-year-olds, what they have done in the last year and a half to sustain that relationship with the children and the families, I think parents see us in a very different way now. I think they understand so much more about what it is we do because they've literally been in the background listening to teachers for the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. So I think I think an increase in the, the level of pay for our teachers is absolutely necessary to keep bringing them into the field. Um, and, and a way to have a higher level of respect for what it is we do um, every single day mm-hmm. that we are with, our, with the most vulnerable you know, population in our community. Uh, We are coming up on time, but I wanted to tee off the question to you, Joanne, of what are practical ways that local leaders, elected officials, the city, county, can really support the efforts of early childhood development, of really raising up well our future leaders? I think there's opportunity for... um, our city and county leaders to consider our local action items and systems that we have in place that support and ensure early care and education opportunities in our county. And I'll give an example. We have master planned communities where we have a Starbucks every third block. We make sure that we have schools built for the population. We have formulas that we use to ensure that we have playground space, park space, shopping centers, retail space, gas stations, on-ramps, off-ramps, the list goes on. But do we include early care and education in those formulas? Do we, when we are developing our communities and considering the needs of a community, ensure that we have early care and education included in those processes? I think that there may be opportunity to be able to put that into play intentionally. I do know that retail space can include an early care and education center. Of that, I have no doubt. And we see them in our county in shopping centers and things. But that's not the same as applying the same formula and approach as we do to our school systems, to our parks. And so if we put it as a, 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 resource, a required resource, rather than an available retail space in the event that we want to put that resource in the community. Mm -hmm. I think two different approaches. I also think that locally that there's opportunity to evaluate and streamline some of our systems so that we can not only build, but also sustain current programs, whether that be Um, We have multiple agencies, whether it is licensing, um, inspections, um, 
contracting, building, those types of things? Is there a way to streamline the process or create a system that is not necessarily fast-tracked, but coordinated in its approach so that we have facilities and agencies working together to ensure that we can get these facilities open and then begin to provide care. But again, that without addressing the workforce is mute, right? I think we have to have these conversations in parallel. And I I do commend our our local, especially our, our county agencies for really intentionally addressing and identifying the needs. And as an example, they recognized early on the needs of essential workers in our county. And they they used CARES Act money. They dedicated a certain percentage. They worked with the Riverside County Office of Education within our alternative payment program and our subsidized provider list to ensure that essential workers in the height of the pandemic when they couldn't find care were able to find care for in a quality setting for their children in such a fashion that we could we broke through barriers and cut red tape and this was put in place immediately so i know that the will and the ability is there just a matter of coordinating our conversations to allow it to happen. Mm-hmm. I think you said the uh, intentionality, and it sounds like that really under un, is the undercurrent under. <laughs> no, I guess that was redundant, but these conversations, um, and especially as Western Riverside County and the Inland Empire broadly continues to grow with so many people and young families specifically moving out here, these conversations have to be a part of Um, city planning, a part of just what the future looks like for our region. But with that, I did want to close out our time. Thank you both so much for taking the time to be on our podcast today. Do you, either of you have any final remarks before we sign off? Uh, I just really want to, first off, thank you for the opportunity for us to be able to engage in this conversation, but also wrap this up with the idea of where do we go from here? What does this look like? What are our next steps, especially in light of local government response or local agency response. So I really want to share that there is um, a great number of of reports available through our county level agencies, whether that be Riverside County Office of Education, First Five Riverside, Consortium of Early Learning Services. Um, We have um, the ability to collaboratively work and develop these countywide reports that can allow the customization Um, of the response at the local level by isolating the specific needs within a community. For instance, we have a zip code priority report that you can filter it by zip code um, or you can filter it by um, a supervisorial district. Um, You can also look at it through the number of children by age group that require services, including school age children the number of children in the zip code, what number of children of the total um, are eligible for subsidized care. Um, All of this is based on census tract information. And so um, while it may not be the most up-to-date as in the month that they're looking at the data, it is a great indicator of the patterns and the trends and the needs in local communities. And that can really help to hone in on those needs. With that, I just want to offer our services at Riverside County Office of Education. And I know in our partners also, First Five Riverside, as well as Consortium for Early Learning Services, would be happy to engage in the local conversations and share any reports that we have to help inform 
finding solutions for the challenges that we discussed today. And I would just add that, um, I didn't get to say it earlier, but we need to support all of our students. We have major equity issues for many of our students. And I think if cities can be supportive of that, um, helping them with resources. Um, many of our students don't have access to uh, technology that works properly, um, uh, computers. So if, if there's a way to provide that kind of additional support to students, because those are the students that go into early childhood. Many of our um, low-income uh, students of color are our workforce. And so we need to find ways to be able to support them and close the equity gap that they're experiencing as well. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this has been really wonderful. I, I love hearing Joanne talk because I always learn something. And she's just so knowledgeable and I appreciate you inviting me. It's very, very fun. Good, awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. For more information on WRCOG and the COGCAST, please visit our website at www.wrcog.us.